Hello, and welcome to the Flight Republic. Now, to be clear, the Democrats did lose the House, leaving the Republicans with quite a bit of power. They have the power of the post. They can launch sham investigations into Biden. They can move to impeach. Because of the low margin separating the two parties, it will likely lead to concessions with the more radical wing of the party. Zooming out to the bigger picture, however, Democrats have every reason to come away from the midterms with a smile. Not only did they keep control of the Senate, which they were somewhat expected to do, but they avoided being sweeped in the House. Most people were expecting a red wave. Hell, most polls were expecting that to happen. But it turned into more of a red drip. Democrats were able to flip several gubernatorial races. They were able to flip control of several state legislatures. Really, the only places where the red wave materialized was in Florida and Iowa where the Republican Party seems huge here and there. While there's much to celebrate in the wake of the midterms, there's still a lot to worry about. And first, I want to talk about Georgia, where early voting for the runoff this year opened up a couple days ago on Saturday. I think that if anyone was worried about candidate quality, this would be the race they'd point to. But not only that, but also as proof that as long as someone has an O next to their name, Republicans will end up voting for them. There have been numerous allegations and scandals surrounding Herschel Walker, and his responses to them have been, to put it lightly, pretty bad. I mainly want to focus with the abortion allegations. To summarize from Wikipedia, The Daily Beast published allegations that in 2009, Walker impregnated a woman and paid for her abortion while they were still dating, and the woman brought receipts. She had images of a check from Walker, a get well code, and a $575 receipt for an abortion. The Daily Beast also corroborated the story with a friend of that woman. In response, Walker said, I never asked anyone to get an abortion. I never paid for an abortion. When asked about the check, Walker said, quote, I give money to people all the time because I'm always helping people. Then Walker, on October 5th, said they didn't know the woman who was accusing him. The woman was like, okay, bet. And she told the Daily Beast that she had had another child with him years before the abortion. Then, just a few days later, on October 7th, Walker acknowledged that the woman was the mother of his son, but as to whether she had an abortion, Walker said, I'm not saying she did or didn't have one. I'm saying I don't know anything about it, end quote. He acknowledged the possibility of giving her his accuser a quote-unquote get well code and a check for other reasons, but he could not remember doing so. Then things took an even more interesting turn when another woman came forward claiming that in 1993, so going a few decades back, Walker had pressured her into getting an abortion. It's important to note here, however, that there isn't any evidence of this and Walker has denied the allegation, calling it a lie. Now, I do want to say that there's obviously nothing wrong with getting an abortion. There is, however, something wrong with being this hypocritical. Throughout his campaign, he's been a vocal supporter of taking away and limiting a woman's freedom. As for his base, they've been more than happy to overlook these allegations, probably because of something, something sexism. So why are Republicans still voting for Walker? On the face of it, Warnock is the perfect candidate. He's reverend of MLK's former church, no less. He's out in the community helping folks out. He's everything that Walker isn't. So why isn't this a blowout for Warnock? There are a few simple explanations that I do want to touch here, although obviously it's a bit more complex. 
First I want to touch on is racism. While both candidates are black, Warnock also happens to be an outspoken advocate for reform. Walk, on the other hand, fits into the stereotype of the dumb black. I mean, dude's a walking example of a CTE scan. And second, he's a Republican. As we've seen in the wake of January 6th, falling in line with Trump can hurt a little bit, but overall, not as much as one would hope that supporting an attempted coup would do. And it hurts far more to be labeled a rhino, Republican in name only, by not falling in line with their leader. Now I want to turn and focus on the bigger picture. Thin majorities are kind of bad, actually. Take a look at the U.S. House. Because of the razor-thin majorities that the Republicans hold in the House, this means that they'll have to make more and more concessions to the more radical wing of the party, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Bobos of Congress. Much like the Democrats had to make many concessions to Manchin and Cinema over the past two years in the Senate. If the Republicans want to make inroads towards their legislative agendas, the far-right wing is going to be required to have a seat at the table. Of course, that might not be saying much. The Maynard and Republican Party has been more than happy to back Trump, even after all the shit that he's done over the years. When we've seen prominent Republican pushback to Trump, we've seen those candidates lose. Look at Wyoming and Liz Cheney losing her seat in the House, being replaced by Harriet Hageman, a Trump-backed candidate. And keep in mind, Cheney was the daughter of a Republican vice president, Dick Cheney, and also third in command in Republican House leadership. And she's on her way out. And then there's the person who, following some extremely weird things happening, will be the Speaker of the House for the next two years, Kevin McCarthy. While immediately after January 6th, he did join many conservatives in criticizing Trump in the attack, he also joined many conservatives in falling back in line with the president in subsequent months and years. I think that also says a lot about how even Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Jewish space lasers woman, is even throwing her support behind McCarthy. I think that on one hand, it shows that he has the support of some on the far right of the party, and also that there isn't really a set far right in the Republican Party. Instead, they're all basically on the far right. Remember, this is the timeline where Mitt Romney and the Cheneys are the good guys. Now I want to talk a little bit about the influence of Trump. I think that what this election cycle really shows is the diminishing sway that Trump has over the party. While on one hand, it's a good thing, but on the other hand, his potential replacement is quite a bit scarier than he is. Trump may be a fascist, but at least he's a fucking stupid one. DeSantis, on the other hand, is still a fascist, but he's a smart one. While I think that in the end Republicans are going to rally around Trump in the 2024 election, as long as he's not in jail, that's not to say that Republicans are happy about it. With some high-profile commentators blaming him for their losses this year in the House and Senate. To conclude, I simply don't think that he has the power that he once did. He's still the figure out of the party, but it's a contentious title with more and more defectors appearing. And DeSantis is on a remarkable rise. I also don't want to discount Tucker Carlson. While I don't know if him running is a possibility, because of his position, he holds a lot of power. And he's a fucking white supremacist. He's not even trying to hide behind thinly veiled dog whistles anymore. As of late, he's just been saying the quiet part out loud. And it's scary. Now I want to turn and talk about what holding onto the Senate means for the Democrats. On one hand, it's significant in that it shows that much of the country supports the Democrats' message. On the other hand, it's setting this Congress up to be one of the least productive in history. What I think will happen 
is that the House will pass some of the bills that advance the Republican agenda, and then they will quickly meet the end of the Senate. Keep in mind that the Democrats don't even need to filibuster anything. They have the votes by a simple majority. This is so much bigger than just bills, though. One of, if not the most influential branches of the government in recent years, is the courts. And their influence is growing, leaving Congress and even the executive branch in its wake. What Democratic control of the Senate means is that Biden can continue to reshape the courts as to appoint people to the bench only a simple majority vote is needed. And if the Democrats hold out and win Georgia, that means that either Senate or Manchin is no longer needed. We already have 50, and 51 would be even more amazing. So, to conclude, if you're a Democrat, I think there's a lot to be happy about this election cycle. We hold the Senate. We only lost the House by an extremely small margin. This sets us up very well for 2024. If you're a Republican, on the other hand, I think that you're going to be pretty disappointed. Sure, you won the House, but by a much slimmer margin than was expected. Going into Election Day, many polls even had the Republicans winning the Senate and the House. Instead, only one of these things happened. The red wave turned into a red drip. While there's still a lot to worry about the future, these midterms have given me some small glimmer of hope for the future, however misguided that might be. And this is Artemis signing off. Have a good rest of your day or night. I have no fucking clue when you're listening to it. I only hope that you enjoyed it.